Well, it's really good to be here. It's been a long time for me, it feels like it. And uh, as much as we like being together on uh, FaceTime or whatever you want to call it, it's, it's different as you know, like getting up and being in worship together. If I wanted to have it more like home, I'd, I'd come in my pajamas. And <laughs> with my coffee and a little snacky thing on the side, and then we would, we would have our time together. But uh, this is far better. I like this better, and it's good to be here. So I'm really uh, happy that Rob is feeling better and uh, was sad that he had to go through some difficulty yet again. But I was happy that I got the call to bring a word uh, here. So I'm thrilled to be able to do that. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Dave Kaler. Uh, I'm an old man here now. And <laughs> we've been around for a long time and uh, used to be a, 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 one of the pastors here, but we had the privilege of, of training and equipping many other people. And now we spend half our time in Rwanda as missionaries, and that's what we do. The same thing there we did here. So if you wonder what we did there, the same thing we did here. And uh, obviously we can't go right now. Uh, everything's on lockdown around the world as it is there and here. And, but God has a plan. So, thank you. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and your spirit. And Father, I thank you that uh, your kingdom can be here. Where Jesus is Lord, your kingdom comes. So this morning I ask you, Father, for your kingdom come and your will to be done together with us, that you would be Lord during this time here. Father, help me to not go down rabbit trails you don't want me to go down and to uh, stay clear with what it is you want to say here this morning and still be open to whatever deviation you might have. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So our sermon title is Healthy Family, uh, and the verse we have is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, When I just thought about that for a bit, healthy family, poor in spirit, like those two things we don't typically put in the same thought, in the same phrase together. We think healthy family, people are positive, their spirits are strong, and we're good, and rah, 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 isn't that great? But here we have healthy family, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That verse, Matthew 5, verse 3, is the opening statement that Jesus makes in the first sermon he ever preached, which was in Matthew chapter 5, called the Sermon on the Mount. And he opens with that statement as he uh, comes and teaches people, teaches us what it's like to be in God's kingdom and what his plan is for us. So what does a healthy family look like? Well, if you have a family and, and we have a family, then you like to learn how to ride a bike, right? That's just part of being a healthy family. And so um, you training and riding a bike. There we go. And you might decide that the best way to go is to buy training wheels for your child. I think training wheels should be ground up and put in the dumpsters everywhere. Uh, in my opinion, they're just a really bad idea. Uh, because as you can see from this young lady, that she is leaning on the training wheels. And she's steering away from the way she's falling, which is a good way to crash. 
If those training wheels are not going to catch her, she will not ride that bike. She's going to crash. It's just that simple. So it's a bad way to ride. Now, the, the first thing we often let people ride is a tricycle. Look at that. We have one right here. So is there, is there a young boy here anywhere that might want to sit on the tricycle to show us what it looks like to ride a tricycle? Oh, look at that. We got one here. <laughs> you can bring him up if you want. That's fine. You put him on the tricycle. You sit down here. You see, we need to teach them even... Oh, look at that. He can learn that pretty quickly. You can see that, right? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. So he learns to, he learns to ride a tricycle, and it's a safe thing. This makes more sense to me than, than bicycles with training wheels. I mean, you, you sit on it, you, you pedal it, you ride it, and it's a safe thing to do for children and for children to have. So tricycles, training wheels, great. Um, this is a good step. But if we always stay on tricycles, then we're not maturing. Thank you very much. Okay, you can. If, if you need this down there to keep them peaceful, we're okay with that too. <laughs> Thank you. We have a metaphor of growing up in Christ. And as we're born again, we become children of God, we're riding on training wheels, we're on bicycles, tricycles. And then some people like to invent and introduce training wheels, which teaches us how to fail. Because you're, you're forever steering, like if you fall this way, you can see in the picture, she steers that way, which is the wrong thing to do. You need to steer into the fall. And so training wheels train you to fail. Uh, because you're putting your hope and your faith in something that is going to produce bad habits, wrong thinking, it's wrong. Uh, but there's a right way to learn how to ride a bike, and that is this one, you see? And so here you have Dad, who grabs onto the back of the seat, and he holds it, and he runs alongside, and if he does anything like what I did with, with our sons as I trained them, they said, Dad, don't let go. Whatever you do, don't let go. I says, I got you, I got you. And, and I'm r- running along, running along, and he's yelling, don't let go. And I said, I got you, I got you, I got you. Because he's way down the road already. Crashed into the dish, ditch, upset. Why did you let go? I says, where am I? Where are you? And he went, ah, I learned how to ride a bike. You're going to crash. That's a fact of life. You're going to. Uh, but we have a father here who lovingly, caringly, teaches a son how to ride a bike. We have another uh, way of, of doing things, and that is this one. You see, this is a, that doesn't have training wheels, right? But you can run on it and learn all about balance and, and look who's in the back, kind of watching. Mom or dad is back there watching, make sure everything's okay. And here you can learn how to ride a bike. There's different ways because there's things you need to learn. Then we have another way, and that is this one where we have um, siblings riding together and they're kind of instructing each other what to do. Older one instructing the younger one. And this is also a good picture of, of how we can do life together. Uh, and so we have all these different pictures. And the last picture we have here is this one, which is the family. The objective is for family to be able to do life together. Mom and dad are back, they're riding, and if there's traffic or bad things, they'll say, hey, wait a minute, let's be careful. So you're maturing, maturing and growing together. This is the objective is for the family to be together, grow together, and riding a bike is an example. On the last picture, you see all of them up there because we have a choice 
of which one we're going to be. And there's some people that are still on the tricycle. Maybe we're adults already, but the truth is we're still on the tricycle. Haven't learned how to ride, haven't learned how to trust. Nothing. We're not maturing, not growing. Yeah, we're part of the family, and we might even have been part of the family for a long, long time, but we're on a tricycle. And that's just, it's cute, it is sweet, but not when you have been a Christian for 15, 20 years. So at some point it stops being cute and sweet. So that picture will stay there, and the question is, where are you? What do you believe? You see, God designed us for life, as we sang, for worshiping together. He says, I want you to go to the Father, wait on the Father, then listen to Him, uh, then look at your older brother, your older brother being Jesus Christ, look at your older brother, Scripture uh, tells us he's our brother, right? Look at your older brother Jesus, see what he's doing, talk to the Father, and Holy Spirit fills you and you move together. So here you are, Father, big brother beside you, and Holy Spirit inside of you, you're moving together through life. That's the plan. And the plan is for it to be in family format as the family of God. Um, now, before the earth was formed, that was the plan. And so God was there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was there. And he, before the earth was formed, before the stars and the moon and everything was put in place, and then he created angels. So the angels were there worshiping and having a great time. And the lead angel was uh, Lucifer. He was one of the top angels. Many, many gifts, very, very beautiful, all kinds of power. And uh, he decided that he was not happy uh, he was not happy worshiping God. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be number one. And so he organized a coup, got a whole bunch of the other angels together, and says, we're going to dethrone God. Now, God did not fight Satan or the demons. That's a very important point, because for God to fight Satan or the demons makes as much sense as it does for you to come in here and tell everybody what a great fight you had with an ant that you stepped on when you walked in here. You see, you don't fight with an ant. Any of us, even children, don't fight with an ant. Because it's, no, there is no fight. God doesn't fight with Satan. There is no fight. Because if Satan comes, God just goes, done, next. But we don't understand that. And, and so we get caught up in it, in the lies that Satan tells us. And so Satan mounted the attack together with the angels. The angels fought him and the angels threw him out. And they were victorious. And God says, okay, I want everybody to experience this. This fighting and beating Satan. This is his plan. He wants us to be part of that. Who of us, when we watch uh, thriller movies or, or whatever they are, and the people are hard done by, they're oppressed, and they're difficult, we're looking for where's the hero, right? Where's the hero of the story? We're waiting and waiting, and then we see him arrive. And go, Aha! There he is, and at the end, and he comes and he saves everybody. Who do you identify with in the movie? With the hero or with the people hard done by? You see, we all want to be identified with the hero. Or you watch a sporting event. I mean, even the Winnipeg Blue Bombers won the Grey Cup. I know that's, that's something incredible right there. And, and so what happens is, is in, in some of these sporting events, you're down, you're going to lose, you're going to lose, it's all finished. Some of us say, ah, just turn off the, t the TV from watching it. I'm just going to go do something else because it's over. But then in the last two minutes... All of a sudden, something changes. The, the ball is thrown a long distance. The Jets score 
three goals in the last two minutes to win a game. And we go, well, this is crazy. It's exciting stuff. It's exciting stuff. And God says, I want your life to be exciting. I want you to participate in this. I want you to know what it's like to win. I want you to know what it's like to be that person there who's doing the winning. And so he designed, he he planned the earth. He built the earth and he made Adam, uh, put him in the garden. He says, Adam, I want you to win. I want you to experience what is winning. Now here is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. I want you to experience the victory. Adam failed. And so there you have it. And and we all followed through that um, as it went on. Now the first book ever written in the Bible was the book of Job. And the book of Job was written before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Job is the first book written. And as we read the book of Job, we discover here's Job who has a relationship with God. Relationship. It's about relationship. There's no temple. There's no altar. There's no priest. There's none of that. But Job has relationship with God and prays with God and talks to God and God talks with him. And what does God do? This is what God does. God invites Satan up into heaven and mocks him. Mocks him. Mercilessly mocks him. He says, Satan, <laughs> you're, you're, you're the guy that organized the coup to dethrone me. <laughs> Satan, have you, have you looked at Job? Have you, have you considered Job? How he worships me? I made him to worship, and he worships me. You see, he's doing what he's been created to do. And Satan says, well, God, that's because you protect him and give him all the stuff. All the stuff Satan said he would give everybody if we came to him. He blames, he says that the reason Job worships you is because of the stuff. God says, no, you don't, you don't get it. So go ahead, take the stuff away. Which he does, and Job, of course, is, it's miserable but he worships God. What does God do then? God calls Satan back up and mocks him again. <laughs> mocks him. Hey, Satan, have you, have you seen Job? Have, have you paid it? Are you listening? Satan, are you watching what's happening over here? Are you paying attention? Are you watching the game or are you out taking lunch? What are you doing? And so again, Satan says, well, it's because of this and this. And God says, no, it's not. And so Satan does the best he can. Even all his friends come and say to Job, we thought you were holy, we thought you were righteous because you had stuff. But we have decided we were wrong. You're not holy, you're not righteous because you don't have stuff. And so they made the decision that if God blesses somebody, they have money, everything works good. Right? Your dog comes home, you you're, you're get raises all the time. It's just a good life. But no, it's about worshiping God and being together. And every time we do it, in the middle of the difficulty and the crisis, we are mocking Satan. And as Job's family came and, and, and tried to dissuade him from worshiping him, um, Job did not, did not fall, fall, did not crash. So God exposes the wrong thinking. In the book of Job, first book ever written, he exposes the wrong thinking. So Job was written before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses, Job was written. And Moses, when he was traveling around, he would have found out about Moses, Job, in the book of Job, and, and talked to people, talked to people who, who had talked to people who were on the ark, and, and did all his investigating. So that was written after the book of Job, even though it's the beginning of the Bible, which is, makes sense. So just a little clarification. We 
are open to lies and misinformation when we don't understand the truth. And so we must know the truth. So then let's go to further mocking. We have a whole Old Testament where, where God uh, gives his word and people are living and, and God keeps saying, worship me, worship me. And people say, give us stuff, give us stuff. And he says, worship me. And they say, give us stuff. That's the, that's the Old Testament in a nutshell. That's the battle in this world in a nutshell. Give me stuff, give me health. Then I'll worship you. No, you won't. And so what happens is God does one of his ultimate mockings of Satan. Ultimate. Satan who thinks he's all powerful going to raise up against, against God and dethrone him. What does God do? He sends God in the form of a baby to this earth. And he says, Satan, you think you're so hot? Watch this. I'm going to send a baby to annihilate you forever. I mean, Satan must have been humiliated, except that he's so arrogant and proud, he didn't see the truth for what it was. So Jesus comes as a baby. He lives, and then at, now it's time for him to begin his public ministry. At the, after the water of a baptism, he comes out of the water of baptism, at baptism where the Father announces to the world, all you people out there listening, this is my son. My son, whom I love in whom I am well pleased. And he says to every one of us, as we worship him, as we struggle, as we fall off a bicycle, you're my child. I love you. And Satan doesn't want us to know that. He wants us to, to deny that. So here Jesus comes out of the waters of the baptism, and the first thing that happens, God the Father in heaven, that great wonderful coach, says, okay, Satan, game on. Game on. Okay? Give us your best, he says to Satan. Give us your best, because i got my son here. My son is going to show you what it's like to win. And so the Spirit takes Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days of testing. And Jesus defeats Satan with exactly the same tools you and I have. Nothing more, nothing less. Exactly the same tools. So in Matthew 4.4, 4, uh, after Satan's attack, Jesus says, It is written... Man shall not live in bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3. Then uh, in Matthew 4, 7, another attack comes, and what does Jesus say? He says, when Satan has presented God's word, and said, look at this, this is true, and Jesus says, ah, yes, but on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, quoting Deuteronomy 6, 16. And then the third test as it comes, and Jesus rebuffs him, and says, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. And then the angels came and ministered to Jesus. So, the defeating of Satan, from God's side, a baby can do it. Jesus did it. He said, I want you to, I want you to be in the fight. I want you to stop whining and complaining about the fact that you're in a fight, okay? I want you to stop whining and complaining that it's difficult and tough, and start fighting. Don't you understand? You're in a fight. And you're only going to win it by worshiping the Father. Not by complaining. That's not going to happen. So, right after the test, Jesus preaches his first sermon. We quoted the, the opening verse of it in, uh, before, as the sermon started. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus spends the rest of his teaching life straightening out thinking. He says, you're thinking this, but I say that. You thought this was true, but I'm telling you this is true. Now, we had the bicycles and the tricycles, right? 
So then when you get a little older, you're, you're 16, now you get to drive a car. And so you teach somebody to drive a car, this is great and fine, and they're driving along straight, and it's good, and you say, now it's time to park, to, parallel, to do this parking thing, right? Okay, now do you do that by looking over your shoulder and parking, or you do that with your mirrors? Those are two different things, completely. So people typically look over their shoulder because they think it makes sense. But the, did you know that when you're backing up and with your mirrors, right has become left and left has become right? Your steering is all backwards. You see, your brain is thinking, i got to do this to get there, but now when I'm driving this way, it doesn't work anymore. I'm thinking upside down. Well, never mind that. Now imagine you're driving a tractor trailer, <clears throat> like some people here do. Now you're in that truck, and, and you've got to back up the truck. And you say, okay, I'm gonna, now I, gotta, I know how to back up. I'm going to turn this way to back up that way. But now as soon as you do that, the trailer goes the other way. Now i got to, what am I doing? Everything I'm doing doesn't work. It's all upside down. When I was a kid, I have uncles who, who drive tractor trailers, and sometimes for fun, we had a quarter-mile driveway. Sometimes for fun, they would back down our driveway onto the yard to come and visit us. They backed, and you got two or three different reverse gears too, I discovered, right? And all of a sudden, here's this tractor, tra the trailer part of the tractor trailer, screaming down the driveway, coming onto the yard. They're just so competent and comfortable in driving that rig backwards, it's nuts, should be illegal. But they would do it. And they would back that tractor trailer into a spot that if you got into it and you tried to drive it out, you wouldn't be able to do it. I've seen it with my own eyes. You'd be so afraid you'd hit something because it's so close to all the sides. But they'll back right in there. Next. Now you try and drive it out and you can't. I'm telling you that what we are thinking is wrong. We base everything on what we see in our thinking. So, if you're flying a model airplane, and you got the controls going, and it's flying away from you, now you turn it around so it flies back at you. Now what happens? Now all the controls are upside down, and you're crashing again. Well, because everything's changed. And, and so there's a story, I read of a story of a, a fighter pilot who was training in, in sorties and in, in, in fighting, and so in the middle of the training, as she was flying and, and fighting, she hit the lever to go straight up. She was going to go straight up to get out of the fight, turned and crashed into the ground. She was flying upside down, but she forgot. She forgot. Well, my friends, Jesus came to this earth and says, you're flying upside down. Every one of you. You think you're doing the right thing. You think you are persecuting people, killing people. You think you're doing God's work, but you're not. You see, you're flying upside down. And so I can't really blame you, because you're stupid. The word fits here, you know. You're flying upside down. What you think you're doing, when you, you think you're doing the right thing, but you're actually wrong. I remember going to visit... The, the doctor years ago, and there'd be an ashtray on his desk, and he'd have a cigarette and smoke with you while you're talking to the doctor. They thought they're doing the right thing. I remember hearing of a guy who was running, and he was totally out of breath, had to catch his breath. What am I going to do? Well, I've got to smoke me one of them cameo cigarettes, because that'll give my breath back. Flying upside down. I remember when kids were young, and they can't sleep, and don't go very well, you give them something called gripe water. Isn't that a wonderful invention? Gripe water is 9% alcohol. Give them a bottle of wine. It's the same thing. 
And this is the right thing. You're flying upside down. I remember when women got pregnant and he says, well, in order to relax, why don't you just have a couple of drinks, maybe smoke some cigarettes, it'll help you relax. Or you have trouble losing weight, have some cigarettes, smoke them because it'll help you lose weight. We're flying upside down. Now we know now the absurdity of those things, but what do we believe today? What do we believe today where we're flying upside down? We were riding around in a, in a country that was in the African continent, and we had a driver who was driving, and the country we were in, they invented a photo radar. And so we're driving along, and, and the driver who's driving with us quickly shifts the vehicle into neutral, puts his foot on the clutch, shifts the vehicle to neutral. He says, what are you doing? He says, well, there's photo radar ahead, and if I'm a neutral, then he can't see me. So we explained photo radar to him. He says, oh my, I believed the lie, didn't I? <laughs> yes, you did. Okay, what is it we believe? You see, our actions are based on what we believe. How we treat other people is based on what we believe. And we assume, we assume we're right. We assume that Donald Trump is wrong. He actually is doing what he believes God wants him to do. And there's people who are fighting him. They too believe they're doing what God wants them to do. So who's right? God, because God puts people in and God takes people out. So I want to listen to God, not to all this other stuff on the ground. And Jesus is saying when he comes to this earth and his first sermon, he's preaching and teaching us how to get along with each other. Fixing our thinking. And so he says in that sermon as we go along a little bit, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, he says, you have heard that the ancients were told. So you have, to you have heard this is what you've been taught by all these old people. You were told that the law says you are guilty of murder only if it is proven by at least two witnesses and that somebody's been murdered. Then you're guilty. But if it's not proven, then, then you're not guilty. You retain your righteousness. So Jesus says, you have heard this, but I say to you, if you think about hurting somebody, you're already guilty. Don't even think about it. If you're upset with the person who cuts you off in traffic, you're already guilty of murder. If you think about it, you say, well, that's humanly impossible because I, I think about that. Then he, then he goes on in Matthew 27, verse 28. You have heard that it was said, where the law says that you're guilty of adultery, um, you're, you're you're not guilty of adultery as long as you don't do the deed. You retain your righteousness as long as you don't do the deed. And Jesus says, but I say to you, if you lust or if you think about it, you're guilty. You're flying upside down. Thinking doing it is the sin. You're already wrong. He goes on. There's quite a few of these he has, in 31 and 32, he says, it was said, the courts provided specific guidelines of how to throw away your wife and still remain holy and righteous. And who hasn't heard or been part of a debate on marriage and divorce and remarriage? And here they, Jesus says to them, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, throwing away your wife was never the plan. If you throw away your wife, you make her sin, you are guilty. You, Mr. Husband, who figured you found a loophole to throw away your wife. 
No, don't even think about it. Verse 33 and 34. You have heard that the ancients were told that the courts manufactured ways of making promises that you had no intention of keeping. None whatsoever. And it looks something like this. You know, when, when your child comes to you and says, yes, mom, I promise I will do that. Yeah, I really will. Yeah, yeah. And they have their fingers crossed because we all know if you have your fingers crossed, then the promise doesn't hold true, right? There's a loophole. And this comes from the people in the Old Testament. They had loopholes. Well, if I, if, you know, if I didn't swear by this, then, then it didn't count. Or if I didn't hold this in my hand when I made the then it doesn't count. And I can still re- retain my righteousness. I can be a man of integrity. And Jesus says, so you've heard that, but I say to you, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You give your word, your word is your bond, period. Anything else is sin. Then in 38 and 39, you have heard that it was said, the courts provided a way to avenge. If somebody hurt you, there's a way you could, you could get vengeance. Only you shouldn't do an eye for an eye, which meant don't take two eyes if you only took one eye. So the law made a way that we could avenge ourselves when wrongs were done. So Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, the courts made a way for you to avenge yourself. But I say to you, do not resist evil, but bless the one who hurts you and curses you. Humanly impossible. 43 and 44. You have heard that it was said that the courts declared that you have loved your neighbor and hated your enemy and you were considered righteous if you did that. And Jesus says, but I say to you, not only must you love your neighbor, but you must love your enemy. And so in Jesus' opening statement, his opening sermon, when he addresses the people, he says, this is what my people look like, okay? This is how we behave This is who we are in the kingdom of heaven. And the truth is you're all flying upside down. Every one of you. And the disciples came and they tried to follow. And he says, it's impossible. What you're saying is impossible. And so throughout Jesus' teaching, when you read him in the New Testament, over and over again, he's correcting thinking. Ah, I know why you're saying this. It's because you're thinking this way. But that's not true. Over and over again, you read it and you'll see it. It's there bringing correction to the thinking. And it really bugs people when you point out that they're not thinking right. You ever notice that? I have met people who are upset with that kind of thing. I have met those kind of people and I've even read about them. And my wife has seen that firsthand. To correct somebody who thinks he's speaking the truth, thinks he's got God's word on something, thinks he has that authority, but doesn't. Flying upside down. I remember years ago when a young boy had a filthy mouth and the father thought a good way to solve that was to wash his mouth with soap. And the son figured out how to keep his teeth closed so the soap couldn't him. And then the father figured out a, a squirt bottle of soap worked really good. He thought he was doing the right thing. He wasn't. He wasn't. He was hurting his son. Hurting him. Not a good father. My wife saw that. What do we believe to be true? How do we declare ourselves to be righteous? And what does Jesus say about that? He says, I want you not even to think about sin. I want you to 
be pure and holy. And we say it's impossible. He says, exactly. You must be born again. Not just a little adjustment. You have to die and be born again. And then you come out as a new person, a new creature. So what happens? That if we believe the truth, we will be set free. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What he's saying is, I can't do this, God. I got no way to do this. And he's, but can you help me? He says, yes. Now you're holy. Now you're righteous. Why? Because I said you are. It's, just, it's like that? Yeah. And so now we're living, we're riding the bike, we're adults, and we sin, we fall. We go, okay, but I'm an old man now. Why? And he says, come to me. Confess again. I'm an old man confessing. He says, yes, you're holy, you're righteous. Keep riding. But we believe a lie that when you get older, been a Christian for a long time, you don't have to confess anymore. That you don't sin. After all, you're the spiritual leader. You're a pastor. You're a missionary. You don't sin. And we believe the lie. And we cover the sin, just like Adam and Eve did. And we set ourselves, we're, we're going to crash because we are flying upside down. And when anything happens, anything serious, we're going to have a knee-jerk reaction. We're going to crash because we're flying upside down. The Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They envied him and they killed him. They didn't believe him to be the Messiah. They believed a lie. So how does Jesus respond to these people, his people, his family, who reject him and say, crucify him? He's hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. So when people attack you and fight you and say bad things to you or about you, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And bless them. And worship God and you'll be free. I mean, hallelujah, you'll be free. But we believe a lie. Well, this is not fair. This is not right. Mom, this is not fair. Hmm. You're right. It's not. What about it? Well, these are my rights. You know what my rights are? Well, the Bible doesn't talk as much about our rights as it does about our responsibilities. It's another R word. It's a little different. What our rights are, rights and privileges as a son of God. I'm, I'm a prince. I'm, I've got all these power. Yes, and you have responsibility. Ooh, 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 I don't want that one. We're flying upside down. So then we, as we look at the world, we say, Jesus failed. Right? He came to set up his world, his kingdom. We don't have people loving each other. It's a mess. There was a time, though, after Christ died and went to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit, something happened, and it was this. In Acts 4, 31-34, they began to speak the word of God, which was the Father's instructions, with boldness, one heart, one soul, giving testimony of the great power, and there was not a needy person among them. Nobody was poor. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Do you know why? You're not listening to me, he says. Why do we have the poor? Because we're not obeying the Lord. And if we, as Christians, live how the Lord wants us to live, there won't be a single poor person among us. We have to stop blaming the poor and get together and solve the problem seriously. So, there's not a needy person. 
that's going to be left. So the, this is what happened. There's a testimony in the book of Acts. These people were so different that the general population didn't know what to call them. I mean, they're not Jews. They're not behaving like Jews. They're not Gentiles. They're not behaving like Gentiles. They're not this tribe or that tribe. Who are these people? And they de- declared, oh, these people are actually a new creation. They're a new people group we have heretofore never seen before. And they're called Christians. In Acts, the first time. So we go to Rwanda, and we find in 1994, there's about a million people that got killed. And uh, in 100 days, and I was trying to figure out how that happens, when 90% of the country was called Christian. How does that happen? I thought, can't those 10% stop those 90%? The 90% stop the 10%? But as I studied, I discovered it's Christians killing Christians. Around the world, Christians in the name of Christ killing other people. Controlling, manipulating, beating other people. Stealing, raping, murdering in the name of Christ. And we wonder why people don't want to become Christian. I said to Lynn, I'm amazed that there even are any people who believe anymore. Because the testimony of the Christian people is so atrocious. It's absolutely horrible. But there's good news. If we read in Acts, he says this. Acts 7 verse, 17, verse 11. Something happened. They were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of the prominent Greek women and men. We need to examine everything from God's Word. Everything I've told you this morning. Don't believe me. Look at God's word. And what happened there is there's a testimony given. There was a group of people. Every time somebody came and presented an idea or a concept, they said, wait a minute. Let's go see what God's word says on that, okay? Let's check with the apostles and prophets. And then we'll choose what to accept or reject. No position, title, no nothing. It's God's word. And everything changed. We can be those people today. That's God's plan. Are we flying upside down? If we're flying upside down, there's a solution. Acts 2, 37-38 says, And now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter, who had preached to them and told them all these things, and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? Maybe you're sitting here and saying, okay, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I hear some of this stuff. What do we do then? What do we do then? And he says to them, repent. Repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Many, many times in my life, as I've, it's been revealed that I've been flying upside down and thinking wrong. Okay, what am I going to do now? Because this is embarrassing, humiliating. Yeah, repent. Humble yourself. Repent. So on this picture on the wall, first we had somebody riding a tricycle. Maybe you're, you're born again Christian and you're riding a tricycle. You're not even on the training wheels yet. Maybe you're riding a training wheel bike, and you're putting your all kinds of hope and trust and faith in a lot of different things. 
Maybe it's time you say, Daddy, take off the training wheels and you teach me how to ride. You teach me. Because you'll be there to catch me when I fall. And then as he teaches us to ride, and maybe we have a brother or sister, we say, hey, why don't we, work, why don't we ride together and kind of help each other so we can do this? And then why don't we form a family that rides together and does this? Why not? We have, every one of us chooses. There's not a person here who doesn't have the power to choose. Father, I thank you for the hope that is Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said...